Thank you for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. This reading is for December 19th. Today I'll be reading the next three articles and many others. Queer Fight Club to make its debut at the Alamo Draft House by Rasai Trammell. Supreme Court dismisses challenge to conversion therapy ban by Owen Swallow. And Uganda accuses U.S. of LGBT agenda by Claire Sung. A new kind of queer event is set to make its debut at the Alamo Draft House, Sloan's Lake, on Tuesday, December 19th. Queer Fight Club is an LGBTQ plus focused monthly film event that showcases films involving queer icons fighting back. In addition, there will be a free 30-minute self-defense demonstration courtesy of Worth the Fight Boxing. Doors open for the premiere event at 6 p.m., and the self-defense demo starts at 6.30 and goes until 7 p.m. Then audiences will head into the theater for a special showing of Anna and the Apocalypse, a 2017 campy Christmas zombie musical with a lesbian lead. Queer Fight Club will be a monthly event, and film programming will include films such as Tangerine, Assassination Nation, 120 BPM, Thelma and Louise, Basic Instinct, and Paris is Burning. Queer Fight Club is the brainchild of Professor Andy Scahill of Rainbow Cult and Gladys Santiago of Worth the Fight Boxing. Scahill is the founder of the Rainbow Cult and the professor of film at the University of Colorado Denver, who specializes in study of subcultural audiences and the emotional experience of cinema going. Santiago is the owner of the Worth the Fighting Boxing, a woman POC and gay-owned boxing studio in Denver that offers boxing, strength training, and yoga classes in a safe, non-judgmental environment. It's really all about feeling safe this season. Hopefully, none of us ever have to defend ourselves from assault. But according to the FBI, anti-gay hate crimes rose 19% last year, and anti-transgender bias crimes increased by 35%. Knowing how to fight back is an important first step, Scahill says of the inclusion of self-defense demonstrations in the event. Rainbow Cult hopes that Queer Fight Club will help to recreate a new third space, where queer individuals can feel safe, connected, inspired, and empowered. Third spaces are defined as places where people spend time between home, the first place, and work, the second place. They are locations where we exchange ideas, have a good time, and build relationships, according to the theory by sociologist Ray Oldenburg. Queer third spaces are important for building and maintaining community, especially in the current political climate where anti-LGBTQ rhetoric has pervaded across the country and the world. Hosted in the Barfly Lounge at the Alamo Draft House, Sloan's Lake, Queer Fight Club is an event that film-loving LGBTQ individuals won't want to miss. 
Supreme Court dismisses challenge to conversion therapy ban. The U.S. Supreme Court dismissed a motion to hear a challenge to a Washington state law banning conversion therapy on children, the end goal of which is changing the sexual orientation or gender identity of children. The case was brought by a Christian therapist who claims the 2018 law is an affront to his freedom of speech. The majority of the court turned away the plaintiff, Brian Tingley's appeal of a lower court decision to throw out the case. The justices rejected Tingley's claim that the Washington state was unlawfully censoring the way he speaks with his therapy clients, violating his First Amendment right to freedom of speech. The state of Washington made the case, successfully might I add, that the law regulated professional conduct, not speech. Conversion therapy as a practice is a debunked pseudoscientific method that tries to change an individual's sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression. Of course, the decision was criticized by members of the Supreme Court's conservative activist wings. Justices Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, and Brett Kavanaugh, I think it's worth reminder that two of whom have credible sexual harassment and abuse allegations levied against them, dissented to the decision to deny the case. The three made it clear that they see this as a battle between the rights of religious people and the protection for an LGBTQ plus individuals. Earlier this year, the court's 6-3 conservative majority ruled that businesses could refuse to provide services to same-gender weddings under the veil of free speech. The dissent to the ruling called that decision a license to discriminate. Tingley, a licensed marriage and family therapist from Tacoma, says he believes sexual relationships outside of marriage between one man and one woman are inconsistent with God's design and that the sex each person receives at conception is a gift from God. If that is how Tingley sees relationships, perhaps advising people on sexuality and marriage is not the best career choice for him. Washington law prohibits licensed healthcare professionals from practicing therapies that seek to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity on minors. Those who violate the law can be subject to sanctions like censure, fines, and revoking of a professional's license. Although Tingley and conservative activists have tried to paint this law as extremely restrictive, the law still allows licensed therapists to promote conversion therapy and perform the practice on adults. Licensed therapists can even recommend other religious counselors to perform it as a treatment What's more, the law doesn't apply to non-licensed counselors acting under the guise of a church or a religious group, so the argument that the law discriminates against religious beliefs is rendered moot. In his dissent, Clarence Thomas focused on gender identity and inserted that Washington state silenced one side of what he called a fierce public debate on the issue by forbidding counselors from helping clients accept their biological sex. Thomas went on to say that the law was viewpoint-based and content-based discrimination in its purest form. Once again, Thomas demonstrated willful ignorance to the pretext of the case, as the law still allows for counselors to promote the harmful pseudoscience to their adult clients. Furthermore, Thomas made it clear that his decision on the matter would have been indicating that he never intended on giving the state of Washington a fair judgment on the matter. 
The term conversion therapy can be a bit misleading as it implies the practice is a legitimate form of therapy. The practice is varied, ranging from psychotherapy hypnosis and aversion treatment like shock therapy or inducing nausea to discourage same-gender attraction or one's gender expression. Washington State sided with the medical consensus that such a practice has been discredited and puts minors at increased risk of suicide and depression. Tingley remains adamant that there is no evidence licensed therapists have ever used abusive practices on children, which is an abject denial of the scientific and historical consensus on the impact of conversion therapy. Tingley claims he has had clients who sought help to reduce same-gender attraction or become more comfortable with their biological sex, and that the law allows the state to censure professionals like himself, targeting practitioners based on religion. Well, Mr. Tingley, that doesn't seem to be the case here. It seems like as long as your clients are adults, they can consent to whatever kind of perverted version of reinforced conservative Christian ethics you pass off as therapy, even if that entails what is objectively torture. Tingley sued the state of Washington in 2021 and was represented by the Alliance Defending Freedom, an extreme conservative legal group who has argued for the recriminalization of homosexuality in the United States. U.S. District Judge Robert Bryan initially dismissed the case. Bryan found that the law did not violate Tingley's First Amendment rights and that it was rationally related to the state's interest in protecting the well-being of minors. Bryan's decision was upheld in the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in 2022. Washington argues that it was well within its legal purview to regulate professional conduct, even if doing so may impact professional speech. 26 states and the District of Columbia restrict or prohibit conversion therapy on minors. Even though the practice is restricted, conversion therapy still happens in almost every U.S. state, despite what conservative ideologues might have you believe. Uganda accuses U.S. of LGBT agenda. The government of Uganda accused the United States of pushing an LGBT agenda last Wednesday in the wake of a number of new visa restrictions against many of its officials. The United States expanded their visa restriction policy to include several new Ugandan officials. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, who announced the new policy, stated that these restrictions were placed on individuals responsible for undermining the democratic process in Uganda or repressing members of the marginalized or vulnerable populations. This isn't the first time the nation has been held under scrutiny by the U.S. In 2021, the United States government's placed visa restrictions on officials for a flawed election involving voter intimidation and other corrupt tactics. The World Bank has also suspended its lending programs to Uganda in response. This most recent wave of sanctions comes in response to a recent law passed in Uganda, one of the harshest in the world. This law includes the death penalty for aggravated homosexuality, a crime they believed queer people were committing spreading HIV-AIDS through gay sex. President Yoweri Museveni 
who signed the law into effect in May, also spoke of plans to rehabilitate LGBTQ plus people in the East African country. After the law was passed, right activists report that mob-aided arrests had noticeably risen in number as well as individual hate crimes and abuses against queer citizens. U.S. President Joe Biden called Uganda's most recent move a tragic violation of human rights. Now, with new visa restrictions placed on several high-ranking officials, it is claiming that the United States has fallen victim to the threat from within. In the words of State Minister for Foreign Affairs, Okella Oriam, there's a coup at the State Department in the U.S., It is being taken over by people who are pushing the LGBT agenda in Africa. This isn't the first time such sentiments have been expressed. Russia also recently passed a law labeling a supposed unified Western LGBT public movement as an extremist organization, likewise severely limiting LGBTQ plus rights and causing many to seek egress from the country. Community members boycott Denver Queer Women's Bar, Blush and Blue. Denver's Blush and Blue, the city's only lesbian bar, has found itself in hot water again. The establishment is no stranger to controversy, and this time a post from a former employee has spurred a community-led boycott of the bar over a pattern of racism and harassment. In 2021, Blush and Blue and its owner, Jody Buford, were sued by three former employees over alleged failure to pay them minimum wage. In addition to that, the lawsuit alleges that the bar's ownership stole tips from the staff and actively discriminated against the bar's only black employee. As of December 2023, the lawsuit against Blush and Blue and Buford is still in litigation. However, a boycott has stemmed from what a former employee sees as a failure for the bar's ownership to take accountability. The lawsuit alleges that the bar's ownership weaponized the bar's status as Denver's only lesbian bar and the idea that it's a safe space to guilt employees into accepting harassment or low pay. Becca Schechter quit working as a bartender at Blush on November 3rd following an incident involving the owner and her wife. A few days later, Schechter shared her story on Instagram, and from there the story took on a life of its own. Becca sat down with OFM to discuss what had happened at Blush and the boycott that stemmed from her post. For some contests, Becca had worked at Blush and Blue for about two years, and while she told us had seen issues with the bar's work environment, she stuck it out because she had hoped things would change. As Schechter tells it, the issue at hand was a case of overt racism from Buford's wife, Tina Sharbaz. The day that I quit, I had my final straw. The owner's wife said, fuck Muslims, to my face, and as much as I gave them the chance to rephrase or correct themselves, they were adamant about what they said, Becca said. I had asked her, all of them, that a huge generalization, and she just said, yeah, fuck them, they ruined my country. Schechter says that this type of behavior was not new from Sharbaz, who had been deeply involved with the bar's operations since her marriage to the owner, Jody Buford. According to Becca, Sharbaz is just as involved in Blush and Blue as Jody is, noting that if one is there, they usually both are. Usually, Sharbaz seems to police the door of the establishment. 
Becca further recalled several instances of racial profiling that had occurred at a direct result of Sharbaz's involvement. She will tell random people at the bar, keep your eyes on that one, keep your eyes on that one. And I can see who she's talking about. She talked with the owner about her racially profiling people, Becca tells her. It's also not anyone else's job, aside from security, to have eyes on other people, and it creates an unsafe environment for both patrons and workers. Schechter was shaken after her interaction with the owner's wife, and while she says that she tried to brush it off, it just felt wrong. After telling one of her coworkers, Schechter went to Jody. I started crying and told her, I've dealt with your wife. She can call me whatever she wants, but to make my friends feel uncomfortable and make people in the community feel uncomfortable, walking around and harassing them, racially profiling them, is unacceptable, Jody. Schechter adds that, even if you don't see the ethical dilemma here, it isn't good for business. Your wife is literally pushing people out of here. Becca was not impressed with Jody's response. According to her, Buford turned the situation back on her, saying that she knew she's married to Sherbaz and asking, how do you think I feel? Becca saw this as making the issue about herself. Schechter expressed further frustration as, in the employee handbook, it says that if you have a problem, like if you see discrimination or harassment taking place, go to management. But what happens if the source of that discrimination is coming from management or someone who is management adjacent? Becca tells us that she had been subjected to degrading harassment from Sharbaz, who frequently commented on her weight and figure. They have made remarks about my body, saying that I am overweight, gesturing with their hands that I am overweight, saying stuff that should not be said to your staff. Furthermore, Schechter, who is Latina, tells us that Jody guilted her into working Wednesdays, even when she was sick or had other obligations, because that's Latin night. While she put up with this verbal abuse, Schechter thought she could at least make the bar a safe place for others. Schechter also tells us... She had customers who would only come in if they knew neither Buford or Sharbaz would be there. Schechter's account of what it was like working at Blush and Blue is not dissimilar from the allegations made in the lawsuit that is pending litigation. The lawsuit alleges that Buford herself has a history of make, making racialized comments to her staff. A former employee named in the suit, Jessica Savage, recalled several instances of Buford telling Savage she had jungle fever to indicate an attraction to black women. Savage, who is of Haitian descent, added that there was one occasion where Buford accused her of playing the race card and of several instances of saying that rap and hip-hop is her music. Referring to Savage. At the very least, both Schechter and Savage's allegations speak to the work environment that is especially hostile to women of color. This is further backed up by the response Schechter's Instagram post received. Becca tells us she was surprised by the way the post took off. People started commenting on her post, sharing their own stories of discrimination and harassment at Blush. After prompting from a friend who works in the activist circles, Becca started compiling these stories so that people knew this wasn't an isolated issue. 
These first-person accounts illustrate a slew of hostile behavior from management towards patrons, staff, and guest performers at Blush. Several of the responses recalled Jody referring to a trans mask person she hired as a confused lesbian and her chasing a customer out of the bar because she confused them with someone who left a bad review. A common theme in the stories are reports of people who present as more butch, having to wait longer for drinks, and being regarded with more hostility from security. Becca tells us that the push to boycott the bar happened organically, that she only had meant to explain why she wasn't going to be behind the bar at Blush anymore. It was people in the community sharing their stories online until several commentators said they planned to boycott the establishment. That led to the boycott. To be clear, Schechter doesn't want the boycott to result in Blush and Blue shutting down. Rather, she wants a change in ownership. Becca recognizes that there are incredibly few lesbian-centric bars left in the U.S., and it currently stands Blush is Denver's only lesbian bar. Schechter says there are options to keep a lesbian bar open. We are asking for new ownership, not for Denver's one lesbian bar to be shut down. If Jody really cared about the community and wasn't just focused on making money off of us, then that space could remain and could be better. She went on to point out that in asking for accountability and progress, she has found several people who would be willing to buy the bar and keep it open as a lesbian bar. Lesbian bars are few and far between. In fact, according to the Lesbian Bar Project, there are only 23 bars primarily serving queer women left in the U.S. This is a far cry from the 80s and 90s when there were over 200 across the country. One of the last comments Becca made to OFM regarding alternatives to Blush and Blue as a space for queer women, one space Becca sees as showing promise, is a venue that is slated to open next year in Five Points. Sister Outsider, which takes its name from the works of the black feminist writer Andre Lord. We will evolve with or without older generations of queer people who don't see the need to evolve. There is a new generation of queer people that are demanding safe spaces, and whether they see the change or not, we will keep demanding that for people from diverse backgrounds, Becca tells us. OFM reached out to Jody Buford and Blessed and Blue for comment, and at this time have not received a response. Lesbian swimmer Diana Nyad reverses stance on trans athletes. Diana Nyad, famous lesbian long-distance swimmer and subject of a recent Netflix biopic, previously wrote an article speaking against trans women in sports. Now she's had a change of heart. Nyad, who is a lesbian, is a long-distance swimmer who gained fame for her record-setting feats of endurance. Most famously, in 2013, she successfully crossed the Florida Straits from Cuba to Florida, a distance of over 110 miles without the use of a shark cage. This feat was commemorated earlier this year in Netflix biopic Nyad, starring Annette Bening and Jodie Foster. Back in February of 2022, Nyad published a controversial opinion piece in the Washington Post on the subject of transgender athletes. In the article titled Celebrate Trans Athletes, but give cisgender women a fair shot at victory, she says that while she considers trans women to be truly women, the male puberty they experience created too great a disparity for true equal performance potential. 
This belief, which is fairly common among protesters against trans athletes, holds no scientific basis. In fact, studies indicate that trans women undergoing hormone therapy have zero athletic or physical advantage as compared to cis women. At the time of her op-ed, Nyad was an active member of an anti-trans sports lobbyist group, just one out of dozens of adversaries to trans inclusivity which have cropped up in recent years. In just the past year alone, countless policies across the globe have attempted to prevent trans athletes and especially trans women from competing at the same level as their peers. Some organizations and governments have outright banned transgender people from competing, while others have opted to create open categories specifically to segregate transgender and intersexed athletes. Just recently, however, it seems that Nyad has changed her mind. She was included in this year's Out 100 Honors, a list of Out Magazine's top 100 most influential LGBTQ plus people. In a statement to the magazine, she acknowledged the complexity of the science behind trans athletes and sports, saying, I regret weighing in on that conversation and any harm I may have caused. She continues, trans women athletes deserve our utmost respect. I stand with them in the world of sports and in the fight for full equality for all trans people. We are all sisters and siblings under the blue sky, and we should have all equal opportunities to play the sports we choose and the sports we love. Nepal achieves huge win for LGBTQ plus rights. The first same-gender marriage has been registered in Nepal, which is considered an incredible achievement for LGBTQ plus rights in the country. The union of Maya Gurong and Surenda Pandli was formally registered on Wednesday, November 27th in the western Lumjung district of Nepal. Ms. Gurong, a transgender woman, told BBC that their marriage and wedding day was a huge success not just for the couple, but for all other sexual minorities. The fight for rights is not easy. We've done it, and it will be easier for future generations, she says. The registration has opened doors to a lot of things for us. Ms. Gurong and Mr. Pandy have been together for almost a decade now, celebrating their own marriage ceremony back in 2017 and seeking legal recognition of their marriage this year. The union comes just five months after the Supreme Court issued an interim order allowing same-gender couples to register under marriages legally. Nepal has previously upheld several LGBTQ plus right rulings, but has been quite slow to implement those new laws. In 2015, a historic breakthrough was made as the 2015 Constitution prohibits gender discrimination and upholds the rights of sexual minorities. Nepal's previous civil code described marriage as between a man and a woman until Justice Tila Pradad Shuresha ordered the Nepali government to immediately begin registering same-gender marriages while it prepared legislation to amend the law. Currently, Taiwan is the only other place in Asia that has legalized same-sex marriage. Thank you again for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is is Michael Cisneros. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.
Thank you again for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros.